Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. number 29. We'll read one verse here in verse number 18, and then we will go to the book of Jude. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 18, the Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And we uh, introduced that verse to you a little bit uh, by way of preaching in uh, the last Sunday night of January, giving some of the thoughts that God has given to me and my spirit uh, for our vision for this year. And I want to continue that this morning. We'll continue in the book of Jude, Jude chapter number one, and we'll begin reading in verse number 17, verse 17. The Bible says, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves sensual, not having the spirit. And uh, there's much that I could say in these verses. The book of Jude is one of my favorite books to preach in. Uh, but let's look at verse number 20 before we get too bogged down in verses that I want to preach but are not necessarily my thoughts for this morning. Morning. Verse 20, the Bible says, but ye, beloved, in other words, being contrasted with those that he just spoke about, the apostates, the false prophets, the false teachers that he just described, he says in verse 20, but ye, beloved, you are to be different than them. He says, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep your in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And notice verse 22 and 23. We will hang our thoughts here uh, for today and possibly even another uh, day as we give you this second message in this series. But the Bible says, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And I like verse 24 and 25. It makes it real easy to praise the Lord when we read these verses. He says, now the, 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 the Bible here, uh, Jude writing says, now unto him that is able. There's enough preaching just on the fact that God is able. Amen. Now unto him. He's about to ascribe praise to one that is able. He said, now now unto him that is able, what is he able to do? To keep you from falling. What else is he able to do? And to present you faultless. Amen. And if you're a sinner like me, you should say hallelujah. Praise, praise God for that. Amen. I'm glad my God has the ability to present me faultless. Amen. I can't do that for me and I can't do that for you, but aren't you glad? Hallelujah. God can do that for us. Amen. To present you 
faultless <coughs> before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior. Amen. There's so much preaching here. Aren't you glad he's our Savior? Amen. Those of us that are saved, he, he's a Savior that you can claim. Amen. He's our Savior. The Bible said to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power. And I like this, both now and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's bow for a word of prayer. We'll get to the message of the Lord. Lord, what have for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come into your presence once again as thankfully and humbly as we know how. Thank you, Lord, for another day and another opportunity, God, that you give us to come into the house of God to meet with your people. Heavenly Father, I pray, dear God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you'd help us today. Lord, you know how much I need your help. Lord God, it's been uh, several weeks since I've been able to, or several services since I've been able to preach. And Father, Father, I pray that you would just make this time everything that you'd have for it to be. Lord, again, I, I say not only to this congregation, but Lord, I say as I have done many times this week already, say thank you, Lord, for the men that have been faithfully standing in the pulpit with a with a King James Bible, rightly dividing the word of truth and helping this congregation and feeding them with the word of God while I haven't been able to be here. And Father, I pray, God, that you'd help me, Lord, to come along those wonderful messages by your men and preach a message that would be just as encouraging, just as biblically feeding, just as uplifting and strengthening. Uh, Lord, it's the messages that they gave. Father, we just can't thank you enough for that. And Lord, I pray God that you'd help me, Lord, not to, uh, Lord, to mess things up even now. Father, I pray that you'd forgive me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with your spirit. Use me, Lord, for your glory. Give me strength that I need to preach the word of God. Give me the ability, uh, Lord, not only physically, but spiritually to be your man in this pulpit preaching the word of God and Lord God being endued with power that I might not say the uh, Lord not, not might not say anything that would be of me but only say those things that would be of you Lord these people don't need my words but they need yours and I pray God that you'd help me to rightly divide the word of truth and give them exactly that your word uh, Lord just as it is to be given Father we do pray if there's one here this morning that's not saved I pray God they'd be born again before before they leave. Heavenly Father, I pray if there is one here this morning that's backslid, they're saved, but they're backslid not right with you, I pray God they'd get right before they leave. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just touch your people, meet every need, God touch in every way that you see fit. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for that which you do. In the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. And amen. As I've already said, it's been a couple of weeks since I uh, began to present to you a short series of messages uh, beginning, beginning in the book of Proverbs chapter number 29 in verse number 18, where in part the scripture says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And I've been trying to uh, present the vision that God has put on my heart for our church this year, and of course with everything going on on. It's being uh, pushed, uh, uh, pushed to the back burner a little bit. But at the same time, I do believe that God wants us to share these thoughts with you. And with God's help, uh, we'll try to do that in these days. Amen. But if you can remember the last time we uh, began, I've, I've, I've been preaching about uh, 1 
first thing we talked about was reaching in. I don't know uh, if you remember that. There on the wall here we have, and I've had it in the bulletin every week since uh, December of last year, uh, about the vision that God has given me. And these particular, these three particular mission statements uh, that I've tried to coin in a way that where they'd be easy to remember. And those will make up the crux of three messages. Number one was reaching in. Uh, vision we saw uh, first was reaching in and we looked through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 and uh, tried to lay uh, out those thoughts about how you and I are to reach in to the ministry of the local church body, how God has given each of us attributes and abilities that while they are different from one another, uh, they are beneficial, they are valuable, they are greatly needed in the work of Beacon Baptist Church. In this ministry, you have spiritual gifts that you must utilize uh, to see this church be what it ought to be for God's glory. You have personal attributes, things, strengths that you are good at, that God has gifted you in, not just uh, spiritually, but physically. Every person in this room has both abilities and attributes that God wants to use for his glory. And he doesn't just want to see you use it for his glory out and about uh, of the outside of the church. He wants to see you use those gifts and abilities in the ministry of your local church. Amen. And so that's reaching in. Each of us should do what 1 Corinthians 12 says and reach into the ministry of this church that we all call our place of worship, our home um, church. Amen. And so we should do that. And then this morning we want to talk about not just reaching in, but reaching out. Amen. And I think that's very important. And Jude here amplifies the idea of reaching out. And so we, we did see that uh, the last time we were in this message, we talked about what, pro, what in Proverbs 29, 18, uh, what a uh, vision is. Amen. Uh, a vision is not just, uh, amen, a vision is not just uh, when uh, you uh, go to bed too late and you uh, begin to have some kind of uh, uh, to, strangeness to your dreams, amen. It's not when uh, uh, you've had Taco Bell too late or something like that and begin to have dreams and visions in the night, amen. Uh, but a vision from God is something that according to the Word of God must be attached to divine revelation. Amen. A vision in the Old Testament, a vision in the New Testament was something that God gave to his people to direct them into how they should live. It was God speaking to a believer, leading, guiding, and directing them into the ways that were right and, to a path, and into a path that was in accordance to God's will. Amen. And so for us to have a true vision, to be a church to be a Christian that has a vision. And those they don't have a vision, the Bible says those people perish. Amen. Their life goes without restraint. They uh, dissolve to a place of ruin and destruction. Amen. And that verse, God lets us know that unless we live our life by the biblical direction, by the biblical leadership, uh, by the biblical uh, uh, guidance of God and His Word, our life will come to fruitlessness. Amen. And I don't want that for my life as a Christian. I don't want that for your life as a child of God. And I definitely
definitely do not want that for our church and its ministry. Don't you want to be a part of a church that has a vision, has a Bible vision, has verses to claim as God is leading through the Word of God as to how He would have for us as a church to take our next steps. Amen. And that's what God has done, and that's what I've been trying to do. And so the first of that was that 1 Corinthians 12 reaching in. The second was He is here in Jude chapter number 1, verse 17 through 25, and that is on reaching out. Amen. And so real quickly, let me just say some things before I get into the message about the book of Jude itself. Uh, this is, as I've already stated, is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, I love it. It perfectly uh, sets up the, store, the stage uh, for the book of the Revelation. Amen. And so we realize as one, I believe it was J. Vernon McGee said one time in preaching, he said that the book of Jude is a Kodak snapshot of the way the life, the life and events would be just before the coming of the Lord. Amen. And I believe we see that when we come to the book of Jude. Amen. When we think about this verse and we think about the book of Jude in uh, general, amen, we come to a book that is one of the Bible's shortest books. Amen. I think that's very obvious. Amen. It is the fifth shortest book of the Bible, trailing behind the third John that is the shortest, then second John, Philemon, and Obadiah. So we find that it's one of the shortest books of the Bible, but yet I think it packs a powerful scriptural punch. Amen. There's so much for us to learn as we come to this book. It is one of many New Testament books that uh, has been called an epistle. It is a letter that is written from a Christian by the name of Jude that is living and writing, or writing this letter sometime in the middle part of the first century. And so when we come to this book, we realize that it was written by a man in verse 1 that is, goes by the name of Jude. He calls himself the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. His audience is to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. This is a group that in verse number 3 and in verse number 17 and in verse number 20, he, co he co coins the beloved. Amen. Those that are loved of God. And if you begin to think about what Jude says about his audience when he talks about that he's writing to those that are sanctified by God the Father. Amen. That speaks of every born again believer. And when he talks about those that have been preserved in Jesus Christ, he is speaking about every born again believer. Those that are safe in salvation. Amen. Preserved. Uh, kept safe in Jesus Christ. And those that are called. Amen. Those that are called unto salvation. Amen. Those that have heard uh, the voice of the Spirit of God telling them to come and to drink of the water of life freely. Telling them to come and be part of the family of God. That speaks to a Christian. And then talking about one greatly beloved of God that can have as their moniker one that is beloved of God. Amen. That individual would be someone that has been saved by the grace of God. So Jude is a Christian and is writing a letter that, uh, uh, that uh, Harold Wilmington said was the most general letter written in the New Testament. He said that this has such a broad reaching uh, uh, audience. Amen. Just to whoever is saved that wherever you may be you can apply these truths to your life. Amen. So we find it as a general epistle written
written by a man named Jude. And so there is a, there are plenty of prevailing opinions as to who this Jude may be. And I'll be honest with you, the more you study it and the more you go down that rabbit, the rabbit hole, the harder it gets to pinpoint who this one may be. We know he's a servant of Jesus Christ and we know he's a brother of James. Amen. And, uh, but there are two different men that bear this name and both had a brother named James. So it's very hard to pinpoint. My personal belief is that this is the man that is by, called by the name of Judas in Matthew chapter number 13 and verse 55 who not only had a brother named James but amen he also had a physical brother amen through his mother's side named Jesus amen I believe this is the Lord's brother I believe he wrote it around AD 66 or so just following the pinning of Peter's second epistle uh, but that's neither here nor there amen but this book here we do realize that it has a subject it is that uh, has a subject written to all Christians verse 3 tells us what the subject is and that is that Jude is writing for every believer to earnestly contend for the faith to earnestly be a defender of the faith once delivered uh, to the saints amen and so we understand that John Phillips called the book of Jude a very urgent little note of scripture amen that there is urgency behind the words that he is writing uh, to believers. Amen. It is so urgent that verse number three said that Jude had, had planned to write a completely different letter on a completely different subject. He had purposed in his heart that he was going to write to them of the common salvation, salvation that all of those that are saved share and the unity that is in Christ through a common salvation. But the Lord held up his plans and never let him write that book and told him instead to write to them and to exhort them that they should earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Amen. So we realize the urgency of this letter written to believers encouraging them to stand for truth in the midst of a growing number of false prophets in their midst. The reason for the change of message was because the Spirit of God realized that in their area, amen, there was a growing number of false prophets with false doctrine and false teachings about God and in particular damnable doctrines concerning salvation and teaching a works-based salvation and so the Holy Spirit tapped Jude on the shoulder and said I'm going to need you to write a letter about that I'm going to need you to change your mind writing this encouragement writing this uh, uplifting message about the commonality of a believer's salvation with other believers I'm going to need you to write a rebuke of false prophets, to write a rebuke of false doctrine, and to write an exhortation to those that are saved and have believed right to keep standing in the midst of those who would want to cause them to compromise and to quit. Amen. And so we find that is the scenario, that is the scene in which our verses are found in. Amen. And I would say I believe that this message is just as needful for us today. Amen. I believe that everywhere we look, there's a new pro false prophet. There's a new false teaching on every hand. Amen. And I will say this, they are, those false teachings will, amen, if they have not already, make the way, make what, uh, make way for themselves in the house of God. Dr. Ed Maccabee used to tell us the things, told, told us about the day that God would allow us to become pastors. He said, boys, he said, 
said, those things that you still will not preach against, those will be the things that will take your church over if you're not careful. We must rightly divide the word of truth. We must stand faithful. We must stand against sin, and but yet we also must stand against apostasy. We must stand against false doctrine and false teaching, regardless of who it may offend, regardless of whether you just stepped on the toes of someone in your congregation that has an affinity uh, for uh, one of those false teachers. Amen. And uh, they like they might like uh, Kenneth Copeland, or they might like Joyce Meyer, or they might like uh, Joel Osteen, or, or they might like uh, some of the new guys coming on the scenes, and even bringing their uh, false doctrine in our uh, independent Baptist churches. Amen. Uh, those, they may like those individuals and be uh, very satisfied with them, but you've got to make sure, uh, amen, to not be moved uh, by the opinions of men. You must make sure that you are not moved, uh, amen, by the admiration of men, and you must stand true, amen. And so that is who Jude is speaking of, amen. There are three groups of people that are identified in this uh, book as being a group of uh, note, amen. Verse 1 through 7, we see the original group of note. That is Jude here, amen. Jude uh, tells some things that he is doing, amen. And so the first seven verses deals with Jude himself, what he has done and what he is doing with this letter. Then in verse number 8 through 19, we find the ominous group of note, not just the original, but the ominous group of note, uh, the ones that are uh, sly and seductive, the ones uh, that are uh, evil in their activity. That is these false prophets and apostates in verse number 8 through 19. And then we find what I'm calling the occupational group of note in verse 20 through 25, our text for this morning, and that is the contending Christian. Amen. I call it the, uh, the occupational group of note because when he tells us in verse, what he tells us in verse 20 through 25 is that in a world filled with false doctrine, in a world where there is false prophets on every hand, the child of God has an occupation. The child of God has a job to do. And he tells us in these verses what our job is to do. He tells us, let me just run through these things quickly because I want to pinpoint one of them. I don't have time to preach all of them. Amen. I, when I was, when I was, before I started pastoring, and this may sound odd with the ministry that I had, but I preached through the book of Jude with our nursing home ministry. And I don't remember how many weeks it took, but it was, it was, it was several. And it, it grew, those senior silver-haired saints in the nursing home grew during that study. Amen. And I got my first taste of preaching through a book, and it's, it was, it's a joy. Amen. So every time I come back to it, I have to try not to get bogged down. Amen. But look with me real quickly at verse number 17. For us to do our job in the midst of a world filled with apostate teachers and <coughs> false prophets, there are six, excuse me, six things that we are told that we must do, that is our job to do as contending Christians that are to contend and to fight the good fight of faith. Number one, <coughs> again, I'm going to hurry through these because I've got something I want to deal with. 
But number one, we are told to remember in verse 17 through 19, we're told to remember what God has already declared. Verse 17, he says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the prophets of our Lord Jesus, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So we are to remember what God has already declared. Number two, we are to build up ourselves spiritually. Verse number 20, he says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Amen. So there is, there is a building up of ourselves spiritually, taking spiritual foundations and growing with God. Again, I can't take time to get bogged down there. Number three, we must be praying in the Holy Ghost. You say, Preacher, what does it mean to pray in the Holy Ghost? It means to really pray. Don't just pray words that, that sound prayerful and, and sound exciting, but you're to really pray. In other words, I have this written down in my notes. See if y'all understand what I mean by this. You need to let God get in on your praying. That's what it means to pray in the Holy Ghost. We must pray in the Holy Ghost. We must build up ourselves spiritually. We must remember what God has already declared unto us. Number four, we must keep ourselves in the love, or if I can put it this way, in the favor of God. You need, to keep, you need In other words, you need to live a life in which God is in love with everything that you're saying and doing. That's what it means. To keep yourself, I heard, I read where one writer said that you are, uh, you are to keep your life in a way where the sun of God's favor and God's pleasure will always be shining on your life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This doesn't have to do with earning salvation, but making sure that God is in love with what you are doing with your life. Number five, you're to look for the mercy. I personally believe that when he says looking for the mercy, I believe if you compare Scripture with Scripture, look for the mercy, must look for uh, the Lord's coming. That's the second part of verse 21. But then sixthly, we are told that we are to rescue others with spiritual discernment. That's verse 22 and 23. Notice what the Bible says here, and of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I don't know if I'll get past the first part of verse 22 this morning, but I do, I do want to say something that God has placed in my heart about our reaching out vision with the time that I have left this morning out of verse 22. Notice he says here, of course, we'll look at it again. He said, of, of some have compassion, making a difference. Now, I don't know about you, but most of the preaching that I have heard in my life concerning that phrase, making a difference, is always used in the sense of, I want to be someone that makes a difference in the life of someone else. I want to be a difference maker. I will say that that, is a, that it will happen if you do what this verse says. But in that part phrase, making a difference, that is not what verse 22 is telling us. This word difference here is a word that means making a distinction. 
that you are to make a difference in how you deal with other people. With how you, if as we <coughs> coined uh, the message for this morning, reaching out, you don't reach out to everybody the same way. Yes, you reach out to, I'm telling you, this cage that I put myself in is about to kill me. Amen. I want to be over there. Amen. But the, uh, the difference that we're talking about here is it, it's, it's not that we give a different message to different people. Amen. Aren't you glad? We don't have to have a message for this one and a message for that one and a message for one in this condition and a one for a message in that condition. A message for one in this country and a message for one in another country. Aren't you glad we don't have to have another message? <laughs> I will say this though, amen, while we do not need another message, we must utilize spiritual discernment, spiritual wisdom, spiritual distinction, the making of a difference between how we take the gospel message and how we reach someone with it. That's what he's saying here. In other words, he's saying as you are remembering what God's told you to remember, as you are building up your spiritual life upon the most holy foundation, as you are serving me and living for me by praying in the Holy Ghost, by keeping your eyes on the sky, looking for the blessed hope, looking for the day, amen, where Christ, amen, lets us see the ultimate mercy and takes us into eternal life with him while you are being mindful of those things, amen. While you're doing all of that, everywhere you go, there will be some that will come into your path. Some. You see that in the Bible? And of some. In other words, what he means when he says of some, it simply means not everybody. You can't paint with a broad brush. Amen. You cannot deal with everybody the same way. People have different personalities. People have different life experiences. People are in different places that make them more open or more hardened to a presentation of the gospel than others. If you go, and I think Brother Lewis can, can share this, if you, re, if you try to reach that man, amen, in a, behind the prison cell the same way you do a church kid, amen, if he tries to reach the prisoner, the same way that right now I'm witnessing to my children, amen, at five years old, two years old, amen, you can't do it the same way. You've got to have, you've got to have a certain level of tenderness with some. And then with others, the Bible here, and this will be a message I probably won't get to today, he said in others. So there, there's some that you reach with a sense of compassion, but you have to make the difference. You have to utilize. <coughs> Y'all, I apologize. Amen. You have to have spiritual discernment to know which ones you reach which way. Of some have compassion and others save, rescue with fear. Amen. Pulling them. In other words, there's some that you will reach with just a tender. When you reach out, you reach out with a tender, compassionate hand. And there's going to be some that's going to take a little bit more force. 
You've got to let them understand the urgency and how close they are to going to hell without God. Amen. There's some, all you have to do is show them the love of Christ and they will be so enraptured by the love of Christ. Amen. That they can be reached with that. Amen. I'm not saying they'll be saved, but there'll be some that are better reached by compassion, by love, showing them and extending them love of Christ. Now, does that mean uh, for the one that you've got to reach by pulling them out of the fire? Does it mean you don't have to be compassionate? No. Does it mean that you're not supposed to show them the love of Christ? No. But it does mean that they will be a tougher case, and you have got to do more than just show compassion. You have got to, you've got to do more than just sit with them and love on them and encourage them to trust Christ. You've got to find a way, you've got to be more involved and find a way to get them to understand how close they are. Notice what the Bible says here again. This is another message for another day. But notice what the Bible here says in verse 23. The Bible says, pulling them out of the fire. God is saying they are so close to hell that they are practically already standing in the flames. You've got to get them to understand that. And just a, just a tender word is not going to be how you would warn a man standing in flames. You never see a fireman go into someone's house. A child is missing in a burning home. You don't see uh, them going with just a tender hand and compassion. And you don't see them with a soft tone. Amen. No, they call the name and they say, hey, are you in here? It's urgency. It's got to be dealt with differently. So we see this here in the Word of God. Amen. If we, the, I believe, amen, that the Bible here is teaching us, amen, that God's desire is that His people be an outreaching kind of people. Amen. I believe that He is telling us, amen, that He wants you and I uh, to be uh, compassionately reaching out, amen, to those, amen, that God puts in our our path as we are already living and ministering for him in a world to where false prophets want them to be converted to their ways, to their doctrine, to their cause, to where there is any there has been people assigned by the devil to try to win people over to a lie. There's got to be someone that is willing to do what it takes to reach out to people, not with a lie like the false prophets are, but to reach out to them with the truth, with the answer. Amen. That can save them. To not try to deceive them, but to try to help them and to reach them for the cause of Christ. As I've already said, there is no formula for reaching out to a lost and dying world. You can have a plan as good as the one that Dr. Uh, Dr. Wood presented to us several weeks ago, back as we began the year in January. And I mean, I'm telling you, Dr. Wood is a man that had, literally has everything. That, I mean, you just about everything in a man's life is just laid out justice. Just as smooth and detailed, detail-oriented person, and he's got his he's got his plan where he uh, he and, and I've seen it work. I was with I've I've been with him as he's won people to the Lord. Amen. You can have a plan with as much thought and with as much ease to be followed as his plan, but if you don't have spiritual discernment, it will not work. 
uh, that was one of the things Dr. Wood told us in the sewing and seminar. You can have this plan, but if all you do is have the plan, it won't help you at all if you don't go with the Spirit of God. You've got to have spiritual discernment. You've got to have the Spirit of God leading and helping along the way to see a soul one to Christ. Amen. But you can have a plan that good, and a plan will still be just a plan if you do not have the Spirit of God leading in it. If you do not have spiritual discernment, even if you have a plan, you won't know how to use it. Amen. If the, I'm telling you today as we minister to people, whether they be steeped in religion, amen, whether they are deceived uh, by false religion and false uh, teachings and false doctrine, or they're just simply lost, living their lives according to the dictates of their depraved heart and their depraved conscience, amen, those that have no concern for God or the things of God, if all you've got is a plan, it won't help them at all. You can have the best of plans and it won't help. If you don't have spiritual discernment and realize that there's going to be some, and, and, and you know, there, there are some that have been steeped in religion, you've got to deal with them a different way. Then you just simply deal with that man that has no concern for the things of God. <coughs> we see this here in the Bible. God gives us a call here to be spiritually discerning in our outreach. He gives us a call here, first of all, <clears throat> to be those that as we reach out, we will reach out with compassion. Notice the Bible, what the Bible says in verse 22. The Bible says, and of some have compassion. Those some that you will go, you're going to reach with compassion, you make sure you show them compassion. Have compassion on them. Make the difference. This is one that needs compassion. Let me lead them with compassion. The word compassion, according to Webster's 1828 dictionary, it means it means a suffer, it means to suffer with another, to suffer with somebody else. He said it was a painful sympathy. In other words, you you sympathize with them and you feel pain because of what you see them in, the situation that they're in. It is a sensation of sorrow that, according to Webster, is excited or brought to the forefront by distress or mis the misfortunes of another. It literally means to, to be pitiful, to have pity on someone else. The Bible here is telling us that we as God's people, must be willing to have compassion on others. Let me ask you this morning, how's your compassion? Say, preacher, I, I don't know if I have ever seen someone in a particular situation, whether it is a lost soul on their way to hell, whether it's a lost sinner living out in sin or just oblivious to anything that has to do with God, whether it's someone bound by false religion and just steeped in a way that they're being devout all the way to hell or whether you're concerned about someone that is saved and someone that someone that is living in sin and you see as proverbs say it their life perishing before your eyes and there are many in our churches that do not know what it is to be bothered by that to be to have pain within to see someone messed up in the ways that they're messed up in let me ask you this when was the last time you felt in your spirit a painfulness because of the mess that others 
are in. That you felt in your spirit a burden, a distress, a sorrow, an agony because you know that there's a loved one, there's a friend, there might be somebody you met for the very first time and they tell you I'm a part of this religion or that religion and you know it's, if they, if that they can be as devout as they want to be and die and go to hell. This past week... Me and my family, and I, kind of, I, I hate how the news was spread to my wife, but my wife's grandmother on her mom's side, no, excuse me, on her dad's side, died. A, we got the news this week. She'd been in bad health and been in a nursing home and not doing well. My wife's grandmother on her father's side, paternal grandmother, died in a nursing home having made no profession of faith and we got word she was we, we and I knew for a long time I've, I've talked to her about the things of God her son my father-in-law had witnessed to her on numbers of occasion and her and her, both of his parents have brushed off the gospel he's given to them many times and they were proud to be non-practicing Catholics didn't hardly, didn't hardly attend church much even when they were able, but they were non-practicing Catholics. And I got a text from one of my, or my wife got a text from one of her relatives sharing with us, and now this relative is supposed to be a Baptist, a Southern Baptist, but still a Baptist, that said, said that Grandma passed away and uh, the priest just left from giving her last rites. And me and my, me and my wife talked about that. And said if she died the way she lived, she's in hell. And that priest stood by her bedside and wasted his time. Because it didn't help her out a bit. Those priests will come in and if they're already gone, they'll go to the ear of the deceased and ask the question, Dost thou livest? And if they're able to answer back, then they're able to exit, the, to escort them out of this life with their priests by their side. If not, they have their ceremony after death. And they went in, gave my wife's grandmother last rites, and it didn't do her a bit of good. If she didn't know Jesus as her Savior, I will never see her again, except for at the great, at the, the great white throne. And my, my, my bride will never see her again. We'll never spend eternity together. And it's because she died with a firm grip of a false religion upon her. I'm telling you, I'm, when I meet people and they tell me I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I'm a Mormon, it breaks my heart. Because that won't, that won't get them into heaven. When I have people show up to my doorstep and they, well, not a whole lot since COVID, but show up to the doorstep and say, I'm a Jehovah's Witness and I want to share with you some of our Watchtower literature. And to hear them reject the gospel and I try to give it to them, it breaks my heart, preacher. To know that what they're spending their life peddling ain't helping them a bit. When I see people that are just absolutely oblivious and have no care in this life for anything that extends beyond this life. Well, they want to live it up and party it up and drink it up and smoke it up and do all of the things that they can do to try to get pleasure in this life. And they have no concern for eternity like the, Luke, the, the rich man 
Luke 16. They have their, they fare sumptuously every day. They say, I've got it pretty good down here. I've got everything I need. I'm not worried about tomorrow. It breaks my heart. And every child, I'm not saying that I do that the way I should, but the Bible here says that a Christian that's heart is not broken toward those that are living in sin, whose lives are messed up, who need compassion and need to be shown the love of Christ. There is a great problem. He calls us to be a people filled with compassion that will live in this life and serve God with a heart of compassion. You say, preacher, why does God want us to be someone that has compassion? Well, I'll begin by saying this. It's because our Lord has compassion. And I think we all ought to say amen to that. Thank God we have a compassionate God. Amen. The Bible says that when we show compassion to others, it is us doing exactly what God has done for us. Think about what the, <coughs> what the Bible says in Psalm 78. Think about what the Bible says in Psalm 78, verse 37. The Bible says this, talking about the children of Israel, for their heart was not right with him, speaking about with God, for their heart was not right with God, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. Notice verse 38, but he... Speaking about God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquities. In other words, the children of Israel didn't do anything worthy of his forgiveness, but he forgave their iniquity because he's a God that's full of compassion. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saved by the grace of God, the only reason that you're here saved by God, amen, bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, headed to heaven when you die, not headed for hell, it's because there is a thrice holy God in heaven that is full of compassion and he chose to show compassion toward you when you were unlovable, when you didn't deserve it, when you were of all men most miserable, when you were yet in your sins, amen, when you were doing everything that a sinner does before Christ. He forgave your iniquity because he was full of compassion. I think about this. Psalm 86. Psalm 86 has this to say. Let's see, I'm going to read it to you. Psalm 86, verse number 15, says this about our God. Amen. David said this, but thou, O Lord, he says this in his psalm, and it's a prayer of David according to Psalm 86. As he prays, he says this to the Lord, but thou, O Lord, Art a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Could you imagine where you and I would be if he wasn't? 
Psalm 111 and verse number four, the Bible says, he hath made his, uh, he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. In other words, when the Bible here repeatedly over and over again says, he's full of compassion, he's full of compassion, he's full of compassion. You know what that means? I know this, I know this is complex, but you know what it means? It means you cannot put any more compassion in God. He is as compassionate as you can be. He is the embodiment of what it is to be compassionate. The way God has treated us is the way that we ought to treat others. The Bible says in Psalm 112 in verse number 4, the Bible says unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Amen. Uh, Psalm 145 and verse number 8 says this, says the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. I like this as well. Slow to anger and of great mercy. Not only is he full of compassion, not only does he see us in our mess, and it moves him to be concerned and to care. Amen. You want to talk about how compassionate God is? How much God loves that he, is, that he was motivated uh, to move on our behalf? You don't have to look any further than John 3.16. For God so loved the world. In other words, he, he saw us, he loved us, he had compassion on us, he looked at the state we were in, had pity upon us, he so loved the world. Amen. Compassion issues forth from a heart of love for someone else. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God was so concerned. God the Father was so concerned about the plight of sin and the sentence of sin that he knew this world would be in, that he sent the best that heaven had. He sent Jesus. He sent him into the world to go to Calvary to be a, to be a sinner. Even before the foundation of the world, before there was ever a person on this planet, the Bible said that Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before I ever came and committed my first sin, aren't you glad for you and I as well this morning, there was already a remedy. There was already a sacrifice before I ever needed a payment to be paid. There was already a payment available for my sinfulness. God is a God of compassion. The Bible tells us I like this. The Bible tells us not only does uh, is uh, when we show compassion is it doing exactly what God has done for us. Not only does it tell us that our God is a, is a God that's full of compassion. But the Bible tells us that there is nothing that will stop God from being compassionate us. Think about what the Bible says in the book of Lamentations chapter number 3 and verse number 22. The Bible said it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Amen. You think about all of those that have been consumed, especially studying the Old Testament. Amen. I think about Korah and how God just allowed the earth to swallow up Korah. Alfred Willis said this in preaching on Korah one time. He said that there are a lot of people that die and go to hell. Uh, the, the Korah, he, he went to hell and then died. The earth swallowed him up and he died in the heart of the earth. I heard one preacher called, said that Korah went to hell in a hurry. 
you see people like that, God, His wrath upon them to splits the earth open and swallows that group up with Korah in the Old Testament in the days of Moses. But yet we see how God has swallowed them up. The Bible says it's of the Lord's mercies that the same fate has not befallen any of us. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. But notice what the Bible goes on to say, because His compassions, plural, fail not. In other words, there'll never be a day where God stops being compassionate. There'll never be a day where God stops caring about us. Amen. I, I, I could go on. Jesus says, as God, as God manifests in the flesh, ministered in the days of his earthly ministry with compassion. Matthew 9, 36, Matthew 14, 14, Matthew 15, 32, Matthew 20, 34, Mark chapter number 1, verse 41, Mark chapter number 5, verse number 19, among many others, tell us that Jesus Jesus was a minister that ministered with compassion, that he saw the multitudes and had compassion on them as a sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on those that he saw that were physically infirmed in body and healed them because he cared about their plight and he healed them and removed the sickness that was making them so painfully sorrow-filled. The Bible goes on and on. As a Christian, we are to be those that will reach out in compassion. We are to be the lifeline. We are to be a lifeline of rescuing those that are lost and undone without God. Amen. We are to be that lifeline that have our hands extended to those that are lost and undone without God, that are going the way of the world. And we are to extend it to them with great care and great concern for the plight that they find themselves in. It is heartbreaking to see so many Christians who just simply do not seem to care that there are people all around us that are headed for hell. And very few, if any, have reached out to them to offer the rescuing that they need. Again, I ask you, and I'm going to have to be done here this morning, how is your concern? Are you a Christian that cares, that carries in your breast a heart filled with concern for others, for those that are lost, for those that are headed down a wrong path in life, those that need God desperately in their life? Are you someone that reaches out because your heart is filled with concern? Are you someone that reaches out with a heart of compassion? How is your heart of compassion today? We all walk about, we live our lives, and many will live their lives without the compassion that they should. Many, maybe even in this room, and I would say that we've all have been guilty of that in, in days gone by. Compassion means that you care. And it means that it hurts you to see the mess that people are in. When people are bound, as I've said, in false religion, it should pain us. When people simply have no concern for God, it should pain us. When people are struggling with doubt or simply put their life of sin over salvation, it should pain us to see people choose the world over choosing the God of this world. If you've truly been born again, and you know what it is to have been rescued yourself, you should have a heart filled with concern and pity for those who are still where you and I used to be. 
if you consider where you used to be and how helpless and how hopeless you are without Christ, it should cause you to never want to see anybody else be in that position. If you know what how if you know how it feels to live in this life, even as a Christian, but your heart's cold and distant from the Lord, if you know what that's like, you should never want that for anybody else. Let me ask you, what are you doing to reach out to those that are in the same condition? Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website bbclexington.com. When the rolling call of ya.